everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and today it is episode 30. Wow, what a what an amazing arbitrary milestone. Dang, episode 30, huh? Been at this for a year, and it's episode 30. This episode is going to go up on uh, September 26th. I'm recording it the 21st. So it's been almost exactly a year since I recorded episode one. Uh, That was recorded on September 29th. So that's a nice little arbitrary coincidence. So hooray, celebration, 30 episodes. Woo. Now if you hear the pitter-patter of little kitty feet, it's because it's, it's kitty feet patter-pittering on the ground because I don't have the heart to throw them away. <laughs> throw, the, throw the cats in the garbage. No, I don't have the heart to lock them out of my room because it's morning. It's what? It's 8.40 a.m. And uh, this is the time when they come into my room and destroy my carpet because I have the only carpet in the house. The throw rug that my old roommates were going to throw away and I rescued it because um, my bedroom is a recording studio for me, and I need something to dampen the goddamn sound, because this place is just an echo chamber. Kind of like the left and the right. The internet in general. (laughs) Ah, politics. If my voice sounds raspy, it's because it, it is. I've been sick? Sick, I guess is the right word, although I haven't been ill I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird thing. I have a bad tooth problem that was exacerbated earlier this week, and that kind of put me out. Uh, not of no. It put me. It didn't put me out of my misery. It put me in my misery. It's the opposite of dying. When you have like bad tooth pain, you can't think. You can't sleep. You just sit there. And you're just dying, but you're not dying. Like, you won't die, even though that's all that you want. Uh, It's so funny. It's so funny. Anyway, thankfully, that's been dealt with, sort of. Not really. It actually hasn't been dealt with. I just waited long enough for it to stop hurting as much. So, hooray, American healthcare system. Boy, sure are getting political this episode. Uh, hello, welcome to potential new listeners who have come in after uh, my conversation with May Leitz last week. Unfortunately for you, this show it does not consist of me only ever talking to May. Uh, it's unfortunate for me too, because I really enjoyed that conversation and I want to just keep having that conversation. Uh, I think the most fun that I could ever have is talking shit about Arlington, Texas with pers- with, a, with another person who grew up there because I hate that place and I'm glad I'm not there anymore. And I bet May is glad that she's not there anymore, too. But no, actually, this podcast is about gender and transness and questions. It's called the Trans Questioning Podcast. I said that at the top of the show. Hi, I'm your host, Sarah. And today... It's a very special day, because it's episode 30. I feel like I'm repeating myself. <laughs> so I've got a lot of stuff that I want to cover today. Uh, it's actually only a single page of notes on a very, very small notebook, like three by 
six inches maybe but uh each of these things is pretty substantial so we'll see if i get through it and i'm not sure the order in which is most appropriate to get to it obviously i'm going to do some self-reflection and you know thinking about how things have changed in the last year um, and how things maybe haven't changed uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about some recent news and some some controversy type things. Controversy. <laughs> uh, the, the there's a new ContraPoints video out, and Jesus, and uh, uh, I love these cats because they'll get into fights and they chase each other around the house. And when they turn the corners, because everything is hardwood floors, they, I, I sort of fuck, they do the, the Scooby-Doo running in place thing. It's great. I love it. Anyway, there's some controversy about the new ContraPoints video. We're going to be talking about that. But first, I want to get to who my email, transquestioningpodcast.gmail.com. You can send me questions or thoughts or any other sort of thing that you might put in an email. In a previous episode, I read some of the amazing, wonderful spam messages that I... I shouldn't say spam. That's disrespectful. Uh, the very personal offers that recounted specific personal dramas that were personally sent to me by the definitely the person who whose email address was on the subject line. So I want to read a couple more of those to see if the saga has developed. So number one, so this is from MRS space B-A-A-T-A-R, Miss Batar, no period at the end of Miss. And the, the subject is greetings, beloved. So let's read this. Ah, it's all caps. I love it. Uh, All right. Greetings, beloved. New line. I am Batar Orgil. I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, which doctors have confirmed that I have only a few weeks to live. So I have decided to donate everything I have to the orphanage and the poor widows through you and I need your help. So there's... Oh, okay. Okay, I see how that sentence works. I've decided to donate everything I have to the orphanage and the poor widows through you, and I need your help. See, there were a lot of commas in that sentence, and yet there were not enough commas somehow. That's weird. Definitely no periods. Please kindly reply to me here as soon as possible to enable me to give you more information about myself and how to go about it. Thanks, Miss Batar. But you're that person, aren't you? Hmm. Now, as much as I truly love orphans and orphanages and the poor widows, uh, the poor widow community, um, the poor widow fandom, as it were, I barely have enough money to support my own fucking trans ass ass. Uh, uh, I can't. Uh, I'm 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 stressing about what I'm going to do to pay my medications when I graduate in December because right now I've got student health insurance that makes it all pretty cheap and then it's not going to be cheap anymore uh, and that's if I can get some of it still because I'm going to have to go to a different psychiatrist somewhere and pay for that and uh, uh, deal with like non-school based ADHD people having very strong opinions about uh, what drugs are permissible and it being Oklahoma where, where a lot of folks are 
kind of very conservative. So I'm worried about money and I would love to give it to the orphans and the widows and the orphanages and the poor widow community. But alas, there's nothing that I can do. And I know that you say that you want to do it through me. And like that implies that you're going to give me money that I will then use partially on that. And then I'll get to keep some portion of the profits. I'm familiar with this, this strategy. Miss um, Batar, uh, Miss Orgil, uh, uh, Orgil Batar, I, I just, <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. I apologize. Next one. Now this one is from Miss Nicole.b.maroois. So it's either Marois or Maroois. Might be French. I don't know. And this one is titled Beloved One, comma. So it's interesting that we've got a theme of beloved here. That's fun. All right. Oh, another short one. That's disappointing. Dear Beloved One, New Line. I am a cancer-dying patient, has only few time to live, comma, new line. I want to will my wealth to you for use it in, new line, building an orphanage home there in your country, period. Can you handle the project? Okay, so we've got an interesting through line here. Uh, People are dying of cancer. Uh, They have only few time to live. Uh, They want to give me their wealth, to build an orphanage, or to help an orphanage, to donate to an orphanage, and I am beloved. Now, it's interesting that Nicole Marois, uh, oh, who is sending an email from uh, the email address paul.rigobello at alice.it. Interesting that they're from Italy. Uh, I guess that makes sense. The... Yeah, I'm not really the person you contact to build an orphanage. I mean, you give me money and uh, you say donate some of it to an orphanage. Oh, I'll donate. I'll do. I'll donate some of it to an orphanage. I'll probably donate it to a lot of different things because if it's like wealth in the capital W sense, where you have like a lot of it, I'm assuming wealth means a lot of it. But like, if it's a lot, a lot, like you know more than $100,000, which isn't actually a lot of money, but it's a lot to me because America's bad. The, the, the I would probably donate a lot of it because wealth is immoral. But, you know, uh, you're not going to give me that money, are you? You're not just going to give me, you know, a lot of money without strings. There's going to be something involved. Uh, it's going to require a forward payment. Jesus, I'm just not, I'm just not into it. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the thing. You know, I know it's probably hate speech to call this a spam email and to, to, to criticize your broken English, uh, and your attempt to, uh, donate money to orphans. But alas, I must speak hate in this instance and, deal with the fact that this kitten is screaming. Um, thank you so much for your email, Nicole B. Marois, or Paul Rigobello, whichever, whatever your real name is. Um, well, compared to previous 
spam sagas. That was slightly disappointing. Uh, I don't read them beforehand because I want to be surprised, but uh, I do like the through line. Uh, but all jokes aside, I did actually get a real for real actual human person email about something. And um, it's, a, it's a fairly long message, but I'm going to read it. So here we go. Uh, it's just titled Fan Letter, and it's from Aubrey P. Hi, Sarah. I've been listening to your podcast since early January, and I wanted to let you know how much I'm enjoying it. I admittedly fell a bit behind recently and just got caught up today. That's fair. I feel like that's a lot of people. And I mean, whatever. That's okay. I forgive you. <laughs> I absolve you of that sin of falling behind. <laughs> Jesus. Imagine my delight when, in the episode Under the Influence of Estrogen, you found a post I made on Reddit. And a post I made on Reddit is a, um, uh, a link, a hyperlink to that post that she made to, to Reddit. Uh, 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 you found a post I made on Reddit praising your podcast specifically. I've been published, or I've published some pieces of fiction in the past, so I know how good it feels to find someone talking about your work in the wild. I've had some pieces of fiction published too, and I know how it feels to know uh, uh, have someone who is talking about your work in the wild. It's it is a good feeling. Uh, it's uh, it's fun. It's a nice feeling. She continues. I'm glad I was able to provide that small bit of candid encouragement. Me too. I have to say. There's not a whole lot of questioning left anymore in your trans-questioning podcast. I suppose that's a good thing. I'm stoked that you've been able to move past questioning so quickly and launch headlong into transitioning. Uh, and then in parentheses, perhaps it's time to rebrand as the transitioning podcast. And then links to uh, the, the the reaction gif of the... Is it, it's not a penguin. What is it? What's the monkey? Monkey behind the drums doing the butum ting uh, thing and making the like sarcastic face and not being amused. So I appreciate the sarcastic banter. Uh, and you're right that there isn't a lot of questioning left in my podcast called the Trans Questioning Podcast, uh, hosted by Sarah. Hi, I'm your host, Sarah. And today we have a very special episode. It's something that I've actually been thinking a lot about lately because uh, I think I've, I've agonized over this a little bit in the past where I talk about, you know, before I started hormones, feeling like there wasn't as much drama to, to talk about and that, you know, I, I've, uh, th there was a point when this podcast was me working through the concept of being trans and like what trans meant for me. And then it sort of solidified towards the end of the year, uh, that I felt pretty confident in my transness and decidedly in favor of transitioning. Uh, and that kind of led to an existential crisis for this podcast in the sense of like, what do I do now? Where, where, where do I talk about? So I tried talking about a lot of things. I tried talking about movies, tried talking about news, tried talking about a book, tried, talked about a lot of things, experimented with a bunch of different things. And I'm still figuring out what the, what the format of this show is. Um, there's a part of me that's thinking that maybe this show will have an end date of some kind. Um, but I don't know when that will be. I don't know what that'll look like. And I don't even know if that's the thing that I want to do. Uh, I, well, I imagine that this show will end eventually because all things must, and I don't want to just keep doing this forever. And I, I imagine that the constraint of uh, the trans questioning podcast will eventually 
wear thin and I'll want to try to do different things. I've already thought about it. Like with um, my conversation with May, there was the whole like 30 minute section at the end of the episode. We were just talking about criticism and there was a long episode. Now I, I messaged May and said, so we have this long section where we're just talking about movies and I was thinking maybe doing something else with it because it's, it was a good chunk of conversation and I enjoyed that. That was the part where I had the most fun, but I didn't feel like it fit in the episode itself um, because it's you know already a long episode and this is a podcast about being trans and figuring out what trans means. And I didn't want to poison Noel as it were with just talking about film crit stuff. Uh, but that's probably me being too fastidious in my devotion to a concept, uh, that I have already broken many times in the past, but, uh, it is, yeah, no, you're right that there's not a lot of questioning going on in this podcast anymore. And so, uh, there's going to be more of that today and probably going forward and, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how things shake out in the future. Let's continue with this email. I'm a little jealous of your progress, to be honest. I started questioning around the same time you did back in December, but I'm still stuck in the questioning phase, repeating the same fears and doubts and desires round and round in my own head. I can't seem to arrive at a direction that feels right for more than 30 seconds. To that end, your podcast has been a bit of self-care during times when my indecisiveness feels especially turbulent. I wonder if it would be useful to share my own struggles with questioning. I'm in my 30s and I enjoy more than a healthy dose of white straight male privilege. I'm in a particularly happy and stable station in life. I'm well off financially, I'm definitely not complaining, and this isn't intended to be boastful. All that context to say, I can't seem to balance the transition calculus. I often feel like I don't suffer enough to justify transition. I don't have depression or suicidal thoughts or self-loathing. It's not something that would be a clear and obvious overall improvement in my life. I just kind of want to be a girl. That's the best way to put it. It's not a need, but it's a strong want. It's been that way my entire life. I just never realized that low-key background desire counted as being transgender. I feel like I have a lot which could be at risk if I decide to transition, despite even living in a liberal city, working a liberal job, and surrounded by progressive friends. I suspect I have more than a little internalized transphobia to work through and may be projecting some of that unfairly onto my loved ones. Anyway, I thought perhaps you'd find this to be an interesting perspective. Is it possible for someone to be too well off or too happy to transition? Philosophically, should transition require a certain threshold of discomfort? Or can you just kind of want to be a girl? Well, Bree, thank you so much for your email. And um, I sent a fairly long reply and I thought about reading it, but I'm just going to try to read... I don't know. Well, Bree, thank you so much for your email. And um, yeah, it's tough. I understand where you are because obviously I've been there and I hope that this podcast has done something to portray the ever fluctuating poles of extreme feelings, I guess, about being trans where sometimes you're 100% sure and sometimes you're 0% sure, I guess also 100% sure but in the opposite direction. And then a lot of times you're just in the middle and it's constantly changing and you just don't know. And it's one of those things where, again, no rule book, no guide, 
no authority on the matter to tell you that you got it right or wrong. Just your own feeling. Now, as to your question specifically, the idea of like, is is it possible for someone to be uh, too well off or too happy to transition? Absolutely not. I mean, this is the exact attitude that kept me from coming out for so long and keeps a lot of people from coming out because we have an internalized narrative of what a trans person or what a queer person in general looks like, where there's somebody who, you know, born in the wrong body, I've known since forever and I've suffered this whole time and I hate everything and I want to be in a different body. So I'm going to do everything I can to change my body, whatever. That's leading to the assumption that people want to do hormone replacement therapy, that they want to have uh, genital reassignment surgery and all of these things that not all trans people want, or even most trans people. Certainly not stuff that I want. The idea of any sort of genital replacement surgery fucking horrifies me because right now the science is uh, good, but painful (laughs) and not the thing that I want. And I don't feel a a lot of the same sort of bodily dysphoria, although I will talk a little bit about some of that today. I think we're already going 30 minutes, which is wild. In a purely social sense, yes, it's enough to kind of want to be a girl. You Only you can know what you need in order to feel happy and what I'll what I'll what I'll say is that if you've been questioning for almost a year now, I mean it's possible that it's just a passing fancy or a little like like a thing that you're obsessing over, but it probably isn't. Generally speaking, cisgender people don't have those thoughts. Like the idea that being trans is contagious is damaging and stupid and bad. And that's not what you were suggesting, I know. But it sort of dovetails with that idea where the thing is, a lot of us just don't have the language to express how we feel about our own gender and our own presentation of our body. And we're socialized a specific way. And the nature of socialization... Uh, we have a another cat who is very old and she hisses a lot. Uh, sorry. The nature of socialization is that you don't question it. It's something that isn't pre- presented to you as an option. It's just a way that you are. Man, these cats are duking it out. Uh, so... That's the issue is that when you're questioning your gender, you are fundamentally questioning how you were socialized. And that's tough. Metaphysically, you are rethinking the entire foundation of what makes you you. I mean, we, we, we talk about gender being a social construct, and it is. It's it's a made up thing in in a social sense. Obviously, there are chromosomal elements and biological elements, but these don't really play a factor in our day-to-day life. Uh, they certainly don't play a factor in our social construction of gender. They, they're, they're secondary. The way that we construct gender is built around the, 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 the bodily presentation, but we've gendered certain clothes uh, and certain like we, we, we've gendered makeup, we've gendered, gendered certain colors and styles and ways of being in public. 
as being masculine or feminine. And that's all an invention. So you're questioning that. And that's not something that generally society wants you to question because it's very comfortable and it feels essential when it isn't essential. Uh, it's, it's highly contingent and uh, more than a little bit oppressive. So yeah, it's, it's, it's enough to just kind of want to be a girl. Now, philosophically, you ask, you know, should transition require a certain threshold of discomfort? This is a question that I do find very interesting, and I've been pondering it a lot recently. And, you know, in a, in a practical sense, no, absolutely not. And the goal for me and hopefully for everybody, uh, certainly hopefully everybody listening to this podcast, is to eventually reach a point where a person who starts questioning their gender feels absolutely no pressure in their attempt to uh, explore that, uh, to reach a point where society fully embraces being trans and accepts it. Because not only will it make life better for trans people, it'll make it better for everybody because a wider range of accepted social expression is good because patriarchy is bad. It's is bad. Internalized misogyny is bad. It's like toxic, fragile masculinity is bad. It doesn't we talk a lot about how it hurts women, but it but it doesn't just hurt women. It hurts men too. It hurts everybody because it constrains what you feel is permissible for your own expression of self. You know, we 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 stigmatize men crying, which is why I have so many emotional problems <laughs> because I've always been a very emotional person and I felt ashamed of that fact. So I did everything in my power to tamp that down. And I'm still struggling with that despite going through a second puberty at the moment that has ramped up my emotions uh, past 11 to a billion, whatever, uh, whatever that scale is, a scale of emotion from zero to infinity. Uh, not quite reached infinity yet, but I'm close. But philosophically, is struggle necessary? So what I've been thinking about is is this question, you know, imagining a world where nobody feels any sort of pressure whatsoever, uh, uh, and they can just experiment, and functionally, maybe there's no difference between a transgender person and a cisgender person, in the sense that a, the difference between the two has more or less been eliminated in terms of gender expression and social roles. And it's more about what we choose to do. Um, and, you know, trans people who seek to do like medical transition will still be able to do that. And it's all its own thing. But, 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 but imagining a world where it's not a big deal. It's not something where you have to come out to your family or whatever and face social stigma. It's just something that people do. Imagining that world, I can't help but feel like something is lost. And I think this is 
a very common feeling for people in the queer community. I've, I cannot for the life of me remember where I read this, whether it was somebody like writing a memory or if it was in a book that was about the, uh, the, the gay rights movement of the eighties. But I, I distinctly remember a prominent gay person, uh, potentially gay activist writing about the, 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 the seemingly very sudden shift towards acceptance of gay people in the public uh, over the last 18 years and feeling like when young people come out now and it's just a thing, they don't have the same like defined sense of self and that there is a certain level of revelation that comes with the crucible of having to ask all of these hard questions. And I certainly feel like one of the benefits, if you can call it that, of being trans for me has been stepping outside of this constructed performative requirement of identity and seeing it for what it is. And I find that to be immensely valuable. And it's clarified and simplified my life in a lot of ways. It's complicated my life in a lot of ways, too. But I do wonder if there's something to be said about the fact that we live in a capitalist society, right? And if capitalism embraces transgenderism, if you, I hate that term, that fake term, transgenderism, uh, if, if, if our capitalist society embraces gender experimentation, then it just becomes another product. It becomes another thing that you do. And I worry about the existential loss of abandoning or, or evolving past the need for that struggle. And, and this is not to say that I don't want that to happen. I do. I do want us to move past it. And for this whole thing to be behind us, I want everybody to have the freedom to express their gender however they choose. I would like that freedom too. But I wonder if it's maybe a shame to lose the concrete identifying factor of coming out. Um, but what's more interesting to me about this sort of quibble of mine has less to do with the thought itself, because it, it's, it's more something where, you know, I feel this very profound, you know, jerk offy self aggrandizing thing where, you know, I'm so much more wise or whatever as a result of my transition. Um, whatever. Fuck me, right? But the more interesting thing to me is the fact that I think I'm starting to understand how people who are, by all accounts, extremely progressive uh, and and were like, you know, the youth counter-revolutionaries, how as they age, they start to repeat the rhetoric of the people who came before them, where every new generation is the the ones who are ruining the world. And then as you get older, 
the generation that's ruining the world is the generation that's running the world. And the things that were revolutionary become the norm and it stays the norm for a while. And then the next generation, it just repeats. The next generation is the ones who are ruining the world. And the, the, the previously world ruining generation is like you kids and your fidget spinners. And there's a particular vein of that thought. That's like, you don't know the struggle that I went through. I fought on the beaches and I, uh, well, I was about to go to a place of like concentration camps, but that's a little harder to, to take that tone with earnestly. Um, but, there, but that attitude of like, I fought and I struggled for your right to just live in this comfortable way and just be who you are. And you don't appreciate that, that freedom you know, you just take it for granted. You don't know. And that's bullshit. I mean, that's stupid. That's that's not fair. It's not fair to blame somebody for how they were raised. You know, it's not fair to criticize the freedom that they have and have always had. Like, fuck that. But I can imagine a time in the future where, you know, I'm I'm. I see like trans people, young trans people who are like, oh, yeah, whatever, man, just do whatever you want. Or, or, or seeing people like cis people adopting a lot of the gender experimentation of uh, that, that was previously only like like cis of, of, of trans people. And I can I can just I can see how this evolves into, you know, feeling like the young people don't appreciate it and that they've devalued it to some extent. Um, and the other side of that is that there is always a revolutionary idea. There will never come a time when all things are accepted and normal, because I think it's a function of youth from an evolutionary perspective to reinvent the wheel, so to speak, to show up the old folks and come up with something that, that interrupts society. I think that's a way biologically that we keep our, our social world from stagnating. Um, and I think of course the, the, the reverse of that is that you have this, this biological function that wants to interrupt constantly. And then you have this other function that wants stability, uh, uh, infinite stability, and both involve systems of thought and action. And there are systems that try to replicate and persist uh, in the old. And we've, of course, arrived at a point where the old are perpetuating their systems indefinitely to the detriment of the world and the people living today to my detriment and probably the detriment of everybody listening to this podcast. So who knows? There might come a time when people are like, you know, we joke a little bit about how, oh, it's a slippery slope to people identifying as a dog. But we might reach a point where somebody does identify as a dog and there's going to be a whole to do about it. And, you know, the cyborgs at Fox News are going to moralize and say, ah, these kids with their genetically enhanced dog faces and they're genetically enhanced dog dicks and dog vaginas. <laughs> and there's six breasts and their dog art done with their dog paws. Uh, the, 
and, and, and what happens when we reach a point of genetic uh, malleability that you have people who are like, you know, when I was a kid, all you could do is be an anthropomorphic furry man, but now you can just be a literal actual dog. Ah, the hell that they, we've come to. You know, there's always going to be some permutation of that. And I think it's easy to get so wrapped up in your own sense of struggle and revolution and like the things that need to change that you're so focused on that, that eventually it becomes like either you give up on it or you evolve your, your stance on it. And somehow it becomes normal. It becomes the thing. And then it, you look at other new things and you see them as damaging. You see them as, as frivolous potentially because you've gone through your own crucible and this is something that I've been aware of my entire life. The idea of the old uh, are just young people who have decided that the young people are bad, even though that's what old people have always done. And it's so transparent. Uh, everybody hates this and everybody's exhausted by it. And it's repeated over and over and over and over and over again throughout history. And it's, it's, it's obnoxious. Um, you know, we think of the greatest generation as the the, the great the greatest generation, the people who fought in World War II and made America a, a, a an economic powerhouse uh, for white people. And yeah, you know that's true. But their parents thought that they were spoiled and that they didn't know the struggle of living in a world where the economy collapsed and everything was terrible and you lived through a world war and, uh, or the first world war. And you lived through this, uh, ideological shift from old sort of colonial style war to new industrial war. Um, it just, this, this is always a thing always happens. And I think it behooves all of us to be aware of that as our, as our feelings on life and the things that we want to see change evolve. And as we grow older, because ultimately there will always be a struggle, I think, and there will always be something new that the young people need to some extent. And that maybe expands everybody's life. Um, and we have to be open to that. And, you know, I joke about like, genetic modification and you know some sort of weird crossbreeding thing i don't know if that's going to happen it probably will eventually uh, but that's like a sci-fi thing and it is inherently funny to me but it won't be funny for people in the future when it's a reality and suddenly you have kids experimenting with that and you know there is a part of my brain that's like oh that's troubling that's weird but who gives a shit as long as you're not hurting another person and you're not hopefully hurting yourself uh, and everything going on is consensual. Fuck it, man. There's too many of us anyway. If you die, you die. Have fun doing it. Like, yeah, that's a problematic stance to take, but that's kind of how I feel about a lot of things. But, um, you know, it's hard for me to imagine what the resistance of the future looks like. But I think that identity does, in a lot of ways, come from resistance. And you know, philosophically, there is something to be said for the fact that your sense of yourself as a trans person outside of the struggle of 
uh, dysphoria and self-hate and all of these things um, is different from somebody who has suffered from dysphoria their whole life and all of, all of those things, all of those attendant principles. But the fact that you've been asking this question for well over a year to get back to you, Brie, is indication that there is something going on, at least to me. And obviously it's up to you what you decide to do or what you think is best for you. And it sounds like you're in a position where it probably would be safe for you to transition. And I, so I wrote Brie an email uh, responding to this with more like detailed thoughts uh, <laughs> along a very different vein than what I've gone on here. Um, but But one of the points that I do want to hammer home is that if you are safe and if it is what you want and if a million other things, I do think somebody in a position of, of privilege like yourself can do a lot of good for quote unquote, the cause because there are a lot of trans people who just never see a, a trans person who looks like them and they just never think that it's possible and there are a lot of cis people who think they hate trans people. Uh, oh, hi, cat. Um, but they don't, actually. They've just never met a trans person. And then if they meet them and talk to them and ask questions, you know, they might change their opinion. It's the same with, with the, the gay thing, where a lot of people just didn't know that they knew gay people. That's the other thing is that a lot of people think they don't know any trans people when you just don't know who is trans that's just kind of how it works it's not it's not a visible thing generally speaking until they come out and start transitioning usually they're certainly visible for me and by no means do i want to say that you should transition for your cis friends and cis people in general that's a side effect but visibility is good you know being a trans person is good and and being open about it is good for you and for other people and for society at large and yes it's dangerous and it's scary and there's a lot that's at risk but you take a risk every time you open your front door you take a risk every time you get out of bed you take a risk every time you take a breath everything is risk and we're all going to die uh and everything is terrible the world is melting fuck it do what makes you happy like, if you kind of want to be a girl, then be kind of a girl. Fuck it. Who cares? Life is too short. You can't take anything with you. Be happy while you can, okay? Jesus. Sorry, I don't know why I got confrontational there, but that's my take. You're, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> response went on a lot longer than i was expecting uh boy this is a long episode already because there's still something that i want to talk about that i will probably talk about for more than 10 minutes so if you're listening to this i apologize for the length of this episode uh preemptively and maybe it won't be that long and i'm just full of shit i don't know anyway so i said at the top that there would be more questioning in this episode and that is true because there has been more questioning in my life uh, and I have come to the realization that I am not transgender and the whole thing's a farce. No, that's not true. But something has changed, and I will begin exploring this by telling you a story. Something that happened to me fairly recently. Uh, 
So I have a friend from my film program who graduated a few years ago. I wouldn't say we're super close friends. Uh, We see each other every once in a while. We have a number of mutual friends, but she's always somebody that I enjoy being around. And you know, those friends that you have that every time you hang out with them, you think like, God, I wish I would hang out with you more. Like we should do this more often, that sort of thing. Uh, That's the kind of friend that she is for me. I don't know how I am for her. I can't know what her, what's going on in her brain. Well, a few weeks ago, we had been hanging out a lot more frequently, uh, making a point of, of actually hanging out because we both needed more friends. And we watched a couple of movies together, and that was fun. Uh, We went to go see Sorry to Bother You together. Uh, She came over to my place, and we watched uh, Still Walking, which is a Japanese film from a few years ago, by Hirokazu Koreeda, who's an amazing director. And so here's the thing, two things, that are not bad, but in the circumstance led to... Maybe not bad things, but certainly challenging circumstances. Um, Number one is that I'm a lonely person these days. And this is something that's been also on my mind a lot lately. I haven't been in a relationship in a very long time. And part of the reason for that is that I don't have a great history with relationships. So I took a break for a long time. And every time I decided not to take a break, uh, bad things happened. (laughs) So I just wasn't in a relationship for a long time. And then I came out of the closet and I, you know, questioning my gender and myself and all of these things. And now I feel like I'm in a position where I could actually healthily be in a relationship, maybe for the first time in my adult life. And that's something that I want, and I would like to not be alone all the time. So that's the thing that's on my brain. So I'm just a lonely person. And here's the second thing that combined with the first is maybe problematic. I have a hard time differentiating platonic affection from romantic affection. And here's why. I'm not a very sexual person. Um, For a long time, I thought I was asexual. I don't think that that's true, but I am definitely gray asexual at the very least in that it is not impossible for me to imagine a circumstance in which sex would occur or be desirable, but it is not something that I actively seek out. And it's to the point that I actually literally do not understand people who do. And I am very uncomfortable about conversations about sex. Like, it's just the point where uh, I had to ask my roommate to just not mention sex-adjacent things around me of any variety, because it just makes me profoundly uncomfortable. And this goes down to, like, the level of just discussing anything involving the loins <laughs> outside of sex. And it's it's very prudish, and it's dumb, and I shouldn't be this way, but I am. And I would like not to be, but that's the sort of thing that would come from a relationship, not from a friendship, uh, in my opinion. 
So, yeah, you can see that for me, I should clarify some more. What I what I imagine a good like relationship is what I want right now is just like a friend who also maybe sleeps in the same bed. Although I worry about that because every time I've slept in the same bed as somebody, I couldn't actually sleep. Um, but certainly somebody who is just physically present, uh, who has arms that can hug and who can just be a person that one converses with, conversates at. Yeah, I don't know. The, the, and this all intersects with another thing that I, my, my sense of what relationships even are has shifted where I don't believe anymore in like pure monogamy or strict roles in a relationship. That whole thing is just boring to me. And I recognize that other people aren't that way, but I forget that sometimes. So this friend that we'd been hanging out with more often, um, I was enjoying her company and um, this was not... So basically what happened is uh, late one night, I had the passing thought of like, hey, maybe we could go out on dates. That would be nice. So I sent her a text basically saying, hey, I hope that this isn't like a a weird thing or a breach of trust, but uh, would you want to go on a date sometime? And she didn't get back to me for a long time. I, um... I... Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's again, this, uh, it, this wasn't a circumstance where I've been pining after her our, our, the whole time that I, we've known each other. Uh, like it was a secret uh, condition of our friendship that eventually, uh, that, that I hoped that we would eventually date. This was literally just a thought that I had. And I figured the worst you can do is say no. And we'll move on, whatever. And this is something that I've done in the past where I expressed like romantic interest in a friend and they were made uncomfortable by it, which is a frustrating thing, but I'll get into that in a minute. Um, but then we talk through it and it's fine and we don't bring it up again and we're still friends. There's a lot of those people that I'm still very close friends with today. So I sent this message and she didn't get back to me for a few days and over, or I guess it was just like a full day, actually. I, yeah, uh, I, I sent her that message and I didn't hear back from her. So I sent another message basically like changing the subject because I figured, OK, she probably uh, feels awkward about this. Didn't get another message. And so I sent. Uh, so I, so I replied again, basically saying, you know, sorry to have made things awkward. And then when I didn't get a reply after that, and I do think this happened over the course of like two days, 
I sent another message basically asking, are you mad at me? And she sent a response that essentially was along the lines of reminding me of a conversation that she and I had had uh, uh, like the week before where she'd expressed her frustration at being a straight woman who is frequently clocked by the average other person as being a lesbian and how this has made otherwise potentially interested men not ask her out. And it's been a point of struggle her whole life um, and a, a point of angst. And that she didn't say this explicitly, but basically that me asking her out was sort of a breach, was a breach of trust in that we had had this conversation where she said this and I asked her out and uh, it just seemed like that was a very insensitive thing to do, which it was. And I apologized profusely and she eventually replied. She basically said that I, I need to take a break and sort through my feelings about this. And I said, you know, uh, I'll, uh, I'm very sorry. I fucked up. I didn't think about that at all. And, you know, all I want to say is like, I don't, I, I, I am not over here, like pining after you or whatever. I just want to be friends and whatever. So, uh, basically like, I won't message you again until you message me. So I sent that and then I didn't say anything else until she messaged me back. Um, and she did eventually message me back, but we have not returned the, the conversation to uh, me asking her out. So here is the contention of this incident is that her whole issue is that I am a woman asking her out and she's confided in me that she's sick of women asking her out and scaring away men, to put it in a crass way. And it was in that moment that I realized that she has internalized my, my chosen gender identity more than I have, because I was not asking her as a woman, right? I wasn't asking her as anything, I was just asking and I wasn't thinking about my relationship with her gender or the, the way that my gender and her gender socially like interlink, I guess, in a, in a contextual sense. And in a way, I think like I'm, I, I, I felt really guilty about this and now I'm annoyed because Partially, it's like, can can one thing just not be fucking dramatic and, like, overly exhausting just for once? It's just, it's just a question, and I recognize that people have weird feelings about these sorts of things. And there might be a context that I'm not understanding as somebody who has had male privilege most of my life. I, I get it. I, I get that. But... I, the, uh, just the inability, the, the seeming 
constancy of the drama that follows me when it comes to like trying to be in relationships is just so fucking frustrating. And the fact that she took so long to get back to me, the, the, the fact that I had like a a pretty serious emotional breakdown that night or one night after she, after she sent me the message and told me how she felt about what I said to her, because I just sort of like spiraled thinking about it. Like I fuck up everything. I, uh, uh, I, I take things too far. I don't know how to read signals. I, I'm bad with friends and I scare everybody away. And, you know, I was thinking about my roommates who left and I won't go into that anymore. Previous episodes, I have done that a lot more. And I just got so sad and so angry because uh, reasons. We don't need to get into that. That's not the point that I want to make. The upshot of all this is that accidentally this incident has forced a revelation because I have been thinking a lot about the fact that I was not considering how my gender relates to hers. And now I'm thinking, is that a question that people ask themselves where they, and I, and I'm not. I don't mean that in the sense of like a, a literal question, but is it like a calculus where a, a cisgender guy who is straight sees a woman that he's attracted to, and it's like she's a woman. She hits all of these other factors, potential romantic interest. Um, is is that consideration of gender like a normal thing? Is that what people do? Because that's not what I do. That's what I've I've never done that. Um, I felt a social pressure uh, to be attracted to women uh, when I was in high school and for most of my life. Um, When I was trying to figure out what the fuck was wrong with me and I decided, oh, it must be that I'm gay. um, I felt social pressure to be attracted to men. But... In both instances, it was like, well, I'm kind of attracted to everybody, I guess, but I feel like I have to be this certain way to count as a normal person. And I've since just arrived at this personal state of like, I'm not attracted to gender. I'm attracted to people. I'm, um, I guess I'm demisexual in the sense that I'm attracted to emotionally invested people. Um, I'm, in, I'm attracted to intelligent people and like people who are, I don't uh, uh, people who I can have conversations with, you know, that's more what I'm about. Um, and I've always known that that's not normal in the sense that anything can be. And it's, it's always been, sort of a thorn in my side because it's something that butts up against other people's romantic expectations. And when somebody asks another person out, uh, average expectation is, oh, this is a big deal. And if that romantic interest is there, then, and, and I don't reciprocate, then we cannot be friends because they will just pine after me forever. 
And to be completely fair, I pulled that shit when I was in high school because I was an obsessive little nerd. And I can't deny the fact that 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 person is still the person that I am. I like to think that I've learned and that I don't obsess over people anymore. And I don't. I haven't had that sort of thing in memory um, in a long time. But I know that I'm, 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 I'm an intense person. I'm weird. I don't know. Point is that I'm pretty sure that I am genderqueer. Or maybe gender fluid. I don't know. I don't know what my relation. Maybe not. Maybe not gender fluid. This is where the questioning comes back in. Uh, an hour and ten minutes in. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm not gender fluid because I don't feel like I'm fluctuating between the poles. I do feel like my personal expectation of being masculine is something that I am working against and I want to be more feminine. You know, I'm taking feminizing hormones. I prefer female pronouns. I chose the name Sarah, which is traditionally female name. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work towards presenting in a more feminine way, but that's because that's what makes me feel more comfortable. And it's what I enjoy. Um, and hello cat and on top of that though i want to be able to mess around like i like the idea of being a tomboy as as a trans woman uh, as a, as a trans person um i like you know i just don't i don't i don't feel any investment in any sort of essential gender and part of coming out for me has been realizing that I don't, it's not that I am on a different end of the spectrum of the gender spectrum that I thought I was. It's that I just think the entire spectrum is nonsense and that I am just a person who needs to make adjustments in order to feel comfortable. And I don't want to be in a relationship with a woman I don't want to be in a relationship with a man. I want to be in a relationship with a person. And so my relationship with my own gender is that I I am not male or female. I am fundamentally trans. I think that that is my gender identity to an extent, is that I am something different, something outside of it, I guess. I don't know. I'm gender queer, and this is something that like I think I've been dancing around the entire history of this podcast, where it was it's always been easy for me to accept the idea of being transgender and of transitioning. Where in the earliest episodes, I talked about being, uh, uh, you know, questioning whether I'm transgender, but also feeling pretty sure that I would probably transition at some point. Um, and that medication was on the way, but you know, changing my, my perspective on that. But the way that I remember that time is that I felt fairly sure. And that's the way that I am generally is that I have a few days of like questioning something. And then once I've decided, I've decided and I'm all in. Um, um, and then as time goes on, then I start wavering, uh, which is fun. It's great. I love it. But 
despite the fact that I, you know, I accepted being transgender, I accepted transitioning, changing my name. It took me, for, it took me forever to decide that I wanted to change my name. That's fair enough. But throughout all of that, the thing that I've always been the most comfortable with is calling myself a woman. Uh, and, and I've litigated this question of, do I feel like a woman? And this is something that I came up in my conversation with May uh, in the previous episode where she was talking about her, her, the, the effect of hormones on her and saying within the first two months, I believe starting to feel like a woman and not, not being as uncomfortable in her body and seeing a woman in the mirror. Um, and, uh, she phrased that as a question for me, but, uh, the, just the way that the conversation flowed, I didn't say anything in response to that. I think I might've just said like a, yeah, or whatever. Uh, cause I understand the feeling of not being uncomfortable in your body after, uh, starting hormones that I have solidarity with, I guess, but, I don't feel any more like a woman than I did before I started hormones. And I don't feel like, I, I do feel like less of a man in a, in a very good sense. Um, I feel like more myself is the deal. I feel like more myself. And yeah, that's kind of where I am. That's, that feels like a good truth, and it's adding to the frustration of being alive for me in that nothing is ever fucking simple. It can never just be, like, this thing. It's always the most vague, in the, like, non-communicable state of whatever the thing is. Um, always hated political labels always hated gender labels i just i'm just me man you can't label me can't put a put a sticker on my face that says 100% certified organic usda approved fucking whatever um and i understand the the social utility of labels and i've softened on my opinion of labels i guess since i was in high school uh, and after but even as I have adopted different labels as a way of communicating myself to other people, I have never really felt comfortable in them. And I feel comfortable in transgender, and I think now gender queer, because it doesn't have a unifying ideological association. It's not... Um, it's just... A statement of movement, I guess, where I was always uncomfortable with gay because it has the association of being 100% for the same sex. And that's softened a lot. And it's, it's pretty amazing how much the term gay has changed in the last 20 years. And so as frustrating as it is and as difficult as it makes communication and as hazardous as it makes these sorts of romantic dalliances um, and as frustrating and to, to an extent disappointing um, th this incident was with my friend 
it it did help clarify things um in a in a very strange and very specific way i am myself i guess my identity is in between and i like that i like that a lot i like not having to worry about about fitting into a specific box of gender, I guess. And that leads into one last topic that I have to blow through very quickly because this episode is already as long as my conversation with May. God damn it, I'm not going to have an episode that's as long as that's terribly longer than that. Uh, that's just me talking to myself. ContraPoints released a video. Um, um, Natalie Wynn released a video to her channel, ContraPoints. I try, I'm trying not to uh, uh, call Natalie Contra, but uh, anyway, she released a, a video to her channel called The Aesthetic, which is essentially a dialogue between a gender non-conforming trans person and a very gender conforming trans person. It's been slightly controversial. I want to say that I mean that it's been controversial in some circles. It's not like some of the things that Natalie has done where they are very, uh, uh, like a flashpoint. The vast majority of people really like this video, but this is just something that I've seen on Twitter among people that I follow uh, and a few other places. And it's butted up against some thoughts that I've had about, uh, how we criticize and think about YouTube videos in general. But so the video, uh, can be read as saying that gender non-conforming people need to either adhere to gender norms or that they need to disappear, essentially, because they are hurting the cause for other trans people. Um, and this is another issue. This is an issue that she's litigated in a bunch of her videos, but specifically more recently in another video called Tiffany Tumbles, which sort of takes a different side of the same argument. And I don't want to spend too long on this because I think I'm going to do a video about it. I, th I feel like this merits a video, but basically my, my opinion on the matter is you should, you should watch the video and, and make up your own mind. But a lot of the criticism is basically saying that Natalie herself is making the point that she is uh, uh, that that a trans person should want to be gender conforming and that non-binary people are hurting the cause um, to some extent. Or it means that she's attempting to not take sides and failing and giving people uh, uh, giving cis people who don't like not NB people uh, ammunition or hurting the feelings and sense of self of non-binary people, especially who are early on in their questioning process. The latter points, I think, are valid in a sense in that they are critical reactions to the video that are important to consider. But I think we are at a a point with YouTube videos of this particular nature, um, with, with Natalie's stuff, where she has made a transition from creating dialectical videos that are just arguing a point through a conversation to her making art. And the two are very different because a, a, a dialectic 
thinking in terms of like Aristotle or Plato, uh, staging fake conversations between fictional characters to explore a philosophical point. A dialectic you can agree with or you can disagree with. It's it's right or it's wrong. It's debatable in that sense. Um, art is not, in a general sense, right or wrong. Art is good or bad. This is how we think of things generally, and there's always exceptions, but whatever. Let's just take it as there's no exceptions and I'm right 100%. Uh, uh, art is good or bad. Dialectic is right or wrong. Shorthand there. Um, if we're criticizing this video as dialectic then, yeah, I think there's a lot of problematic issues with it. But I don't think it's a dialectic. I think it's art in the sense that it's expressing an idea in, in, a, in a number of complicated ways. And we have to take it alongside the entire rest of Natalie's body of work, I think, because they come together to form a very nuanced, problematic, yes, um, honest, painful, personal perspective on what it means to be trans in the public eye. And I think it's fair to point out the ways that, that this video can negatively impact um, the, 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 the community or individuals, but I don't think it's fair to say that Natalie has taken the wrong side because I don't think she is taking a side. I think she's expressing a point. And it, it, it's a painful video to watch because it is... The, the, it's, it's a debate that I have all of the time where part of me wants to, do, to, to, to have this like freedom of gender expression, but another part of me is like, you're making an ass out of yourself and what if you're hurting trans people elsewhere by turning yourself into a cartoon character or whatever. I think most trans people have that debate, right? Um, but she doesn't moralize about, about that debate. She doesn't take a side. She doesn't say which is right. It literally ends with the two characters saying, I guess nobody wins and I love you is what the, what, what, what Justine says to Tabby. Um, I mean, I think that the statement is pretty clear. I think it's pretty pretty obvious that we're not supposed to 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 agree with Justine. Um, and when I say that this is art, I mean that good art, in my opinion, creates an energy of absence where it doesn't give you what you want, and you feel compelled to use that energy to do something else. Uh, I think the classic example for me is 1984, where you start off with the, the classic, like, oppressed protagonist who joins a resistant move, resistance movement and wants to take down the regime in some way. Um, but it all ends up being a hoax, and the regime brainwashes him and tortures him, and it ends with him sitting in a bar, sad, basically a brainwashed supporter of the uh, of Ingsoc. The ending of 1984 to me um, is frustrating and cynical and deeply problematic on purpose. And when I say problematic in both senses, it, 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 with, with 1984 and with Natalie's videos, 
I don't mean it in a sense that we tend to think of it. I think when we when we say problematic these days, we mean, um, oh, there's a weird race thing in this that is problematic. Um, let's throw it in the dumpster. I see in these cases problematic as being an indication of a problem that, like a problem, needs to be solved or worked through where there are troubling social implications. It doesn't say good things about trans people, which is why we need to ask questions. Maybe it's not that George Orwell thinks that we're all going to be brainwashed by the government. Maybe it's George Orwell saying, this is what can happen. Don't let it happen. And by denying you the narrative conclusion that you want, he's giving you some kind of personal energy to find that conclusion elsewhere, potentially in political activism. With the aesthetic, maybe we should stop and think, okay, does Natalie win the the person, the creator, literally think this about trans people, that Tabby is a caricature that is overly cartoonish and hurting the, the cause and that Justine is right. First of all, that's not how the video goes, but this is a take that people have. Um, or is it that Natalie is trying to portray this conversation that we have and the fact that it doesn't resolve in the video itself is supposed to make us question the efficacy of the conversation as a whole as a conversation that we have with ourselves all the time and that perhaps something different ought to be done. Perhaps it's providing energy for a different political goal where we don't live in a world where non-binary people are free to express however they so choose. We don't live in a world where a freshly minted, gender queer, strange human like myself feels comfortable uh, asserting the possibilities of my own gender queerness. And that's deplorable, and I hate it. And the way that it's portrayed in this video is frustrating, and I hate it. And I want to change it. I want to see it changed. And I imagine Natalie wants to see it changed too. And that's the point. I was really happy to see this video. I liked this video. I've watched it a couple times now. Probably going to watch it again because it's nice to see somebody making art about the trans experience in a way that isn't just saying, this sucks, comma, but it will get better. It's not moralizing. It's not concluding. It's not solving. It's just feeling it out. And you can argue that, you know, this is a bad video to make because cis people will draw terrible conclusions from it, that it'll hurt non-binary people, and that it hurts their feelings, and it's not the kind of thing that we want from Natalie Wynn. To which I say, we can't support an artist to express herself freely only on the condition that she expresses that which we agree with or that we think we need. Um, and it's not, it's not, it's not her job 
to do these things. It's it's not her job to make you feel good in your gender. And maybe that some of her videos have done that. Um, but, but it's a complicated thing. And that's the, that's the goal of art. And as to misinterpretation, that's true of literally all art. There's a great recent episode of Behind the Bastards about um, how how early Hollywood accidentally and not so accidentally supported the Nazis. And there were a couple of times when he mentions uh, uh, explicitly anti-Nazi movies that were accidentally pro-Nazi movies. And him and his hosts basically have this revelation that any story with a protagonist that overcomes exponentially insurmountable odds it can be read as fundamentally fascist. It's like, it's fucked. There's no getting away from it. People will read art how they will read it. Bigots will find a reason to be bigoted no matter where it's come from. And you can say, well, you don't have to be the one who's throwing the fuel on the fire. But if that's getting in the way of you expressing something honest about yourself or your experience of life, you can't live your life as an artist worrying about all of the negative implications of your art. It's something you should be aware of and take into consideration, but eventually there comes a point when you're going to have to make something that is problematic because you cannot avoid it. We're problematic people. This is a problematic world. We don't work through that by pretending it's either all positivity or throw it in the garbage. We have to be willing to accept that there is difficult, problematic, disheartening, painful conversations that we have with ourselves that have a place in the public discourse, and the whole thing sucks. It, it, it all sucks. It's all terrible, and I hate it, and maybe we shouldn't be looking to fucking YouTube videos f- as, as like the arbiters of our political ideology or the grand statements of our transgender agenda or whatever. Um, that's, that's a little glib, but the point still stands that Natalie's wanting us to think critically, I believe. And we're responding to that by saying, I want you instead to tell me what to think. And that's bullshit. That's not what art is. That's not what we should ask for from our creators, especially the people who are pushing the boundaries the way that they are. And yeah, Natalie's a problematic person in general. So is everybody. Everybody's problematic. Nobody gets away from this shit. We got to stop throwing our own in the trash. You know, and it's fine to criticize. I get it. I get it. I agree with some of the criticisms. I get it. It's great to criticize, but we have to understand where our criticism is coming from. And we have to understand what's realistic. And we have to understand the complexities of our world. And God, I don't fucking know. Just go watch a video and make up your own mind. You know? I probably am going to make a video about this because I obviously have a lot to say because it's now an hour and 30 minutes in and it's too long. This episode's too long. So the moral of this episode has been think critically about your identity and how your identity is reflected in the world and decide who you are, who you want to be, who you don't want to be, 
Just figure it out for yourself. Decide. Because no one else can. And trying to let somebody else do it is going to be a disaster for you, one way or the other. Make up your own fucking mind. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. This is a very special episode. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I don't know why that's become the bit this episode. Anyway, if you have questions, thoughts, comments, whatever, send me an email, transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support me making this podcast or my YouTube videos, go to patreon.com slash LTAS. There are all kinds of special rewards, including a 15-minute bit of conversation that was kept from my conversation with Shannon Strucci that is exclusive to $5 patrons there. There are lots of other rewards and things that you can check out I won't litigate here because this episode is already too long and of course links to everything are in the description the music that you heard is by Insane in the Rain the cover is by Emily Bumgarner think fuck that summer is almost over hurricane season is beginning stay dry don't get dead and live a life I guess do that yep goodbye goodbye <laughs>